Friday nights at 9 p.m. It's time to sit back, relax, and play conspiracy bingo with Echoplex Media. We've curated the best conspiracy theorists the internet has to offer and turned it into a live bingo game you can play for free with absolutely no prizes but bragging rights. You won't find a live stream like this anywhere else, and that's probably better for everyone else's mental health. Tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. I don't know what they're smoking over there at Princeton. The focus on ridicule. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to raid me. And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt. But to me that doesn't matter because my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation. I recommend it highly. See a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree We do this show live on Twitch Every Wednesday at 7, th- uh, 7 p.m. Pacific, that's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. And uh, if you're the first time listening to the podcast or the first time watching the show, welcome. We uh, make fun of the intellectual dark web. Uh, that's just sort of what we do here. Uh, and I guess without further ado, we're going to kind of get to it. Um, if we're the, there's a new character here, Josh Zeps. Josh Zeps, he's an Aussie. He's like one of those kind of heterodox sort of people, I guess. Um, he's definitely not in like the same vein as like the Weinstein brothers or whatever. Um, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't kind of paint him with that brush. I feel like that, that would be rather unfair, but he is sort of like kind of galaxy brain and is like, Oh, we're going to have these difficult conversations. Well, here's his show called uncomfortable conversations with Eric Weinstein. And if the Twitter comments that I saw under the post about this were any indication, this is, this one's going to be kind of fun. So let's go. As soon as... Oh, here we go. G'day, humans. Welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas. I first met Eric Weinstein. Before the pandemic, he came to Sydney and he did a, a, a big day-long event 
with his brother, Brett Weinstein. Oh, no. Uh, what a horrible event. Sam Harris and Majid Nawaz and Douglas Murray. And I was the moderator of these intellectual dissidents from scattered portions of the global community of ne'er-do-wells and troublemakers uh, for a what ended up being a failed and controversial uh, event run by a huckster who never paid us. <laughs> fucking critical support to who never paid these fucking dorks. Fuck yeah, get them. Eric was fascinating. He is the man who coined the term the intellectual dark web to try to kind of put his arms around this phenomenon of people who were interested in talking about controversial political and cultural issues in a heterodox way, meaning a way that doesn't align neatly with left or right, with the institutional biases of mainstream media and polite company and conventional thinking. Oh, no, the thing they want mostly from each other in the intellectual dark web, and one of the things we've talked about the most is what they want is polite company. That's like their big thing is like they get fucking the most mad if you're impolite. So I don't think that that this description here so far is very good. And that uh, that moniker, that grouping, that intellectual kind of uh, idea of, of there being a cohort of such people has collapsed completely and disintegrated. <laughs> That's definitely true. I mean, I thought it was collapsed and disintegrated from the beginning because it was all just a bunch of fucking well-to-do white guys mostly. Like, talking about ideas. Because some of those people have gone spinning and spiraling off into what you might think of as crazy town, into intense COVID conspiracy. Eric's been in crazy town the whole time. He thinks he unified physics by himself in his spare time. Thinking anti-vaccine beliefs, uh, stridency uh, about politics, uh, gone down the Trump rabbit hole. Uh, you know, whether or not people like Dave Rubin or Ben Shapiro were ever part of this group is open to question. Eric Weinstein's brother, Brett Weinstein, who was, I suppose, a friend of mine and ours and part of the same intellectual cohort, has subsequently become quite possessed and obsessed with what I would call vaccine misinformation. He thinks he's just digging into the truth of the various anomalies about vaccines, but he has ended up in a place where he produces a podcast that persistently pushes one point of view, the skeptical point of view, about the pandemic. And okay, so this is this not though. This isn't. This isn't. That's not skepticism. Skepticism is show me the money. He's talking about denialism, which is different than skepticism. In during this about his thoughts about what's happened to his brother during this period. Nonetheless, Eric remains one of the smartest people I've ever met. Oh, well, then you just haven't been exposed to a lot of people. It's hard to keep up with at times. I try to keep him under control here. Um, I mean, he's, he has a PhD in mathematical physics from Harvard. Like, do I, (laughs) if you tried to combine a bunch of words to make a person sound smart, it would be PhD, mathematical, Harvard physics. Um, He's now the managing director of uh, Teal Capital, which is Peter Teal's 
um, financial concern. Teal- okay, so this, the, 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 these people all get this wrong. <clears throat> Teal Capital is like Peter Teal's little boutique firm where he kind of does, I guess, I, he does, I guess, VC as activism. The firm where Peter Thiel has made a lot of money is called Founders Fund. That's the big firm. These people all get this wrong. Everyone gets this wrong. Just the smallest amount of checking and you would find out that Founders Fund is the big one and that Teal Capital is just his little side project where he, I don't know, it, it indulges Eric Weinstein's delusions of grandeur, I suppose. Thiel is a, a Trump uh, sort of conservative multi-billionaire co-founder of paypal and other silicon valley giants eric is politically completely different from peter Thiel, from his boss uh, eric is more of a a bernie sanders bro oh go well, get the fuck out of here a bernie sanders bro shut the fuck up but politics is the least important and least interesting thing about him and in this conversation, we try to get our arms around what's important for us to understand about the fate of the world, why everything has gone bizarrely, wildly wrong, whether the media is rigged, uh, what the future will hold, and how to keep your head on straight. Oh, by the way, there's just one thing that I should explain uh, before you listen to this, because there are many things that Eric will drop into the conversation that we can let slide. But one thing when he's talking about the origins of the coronavirus and uh, why we were so reticent to consider uh, man-made explanations uh, like the lab leak hypothesis is he talks several times about uh, about the uh, the furin cleavage site on the virus. The, if you haven't heard of the furin cleavage site, uh, that is a bit of the spike protein of the coronavirus that causes COVID. Right, but I thought he was a mathematician and a physicist. Like, come on, dude. Which seems to be different from other coronaviruses. Researchers say that this could have occurred by random mutation or recombination, or insertion in a lab. People who are suspicious that the virus came accidentally from animals will point to this furin cleavage site and say that the possibility of random mutation is too low, the likelihood to explain the origin of the furin cleavage site. So when you hear him talking about that, he's basically saying there's a, an aspect of the virus that uh, is not amenable to likely explanation as an accident of evolution. I'm not informed enough as a virologist to, to know how to adjudicate that, so I just let it slide. Oh my God, what? what, 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 what? You, just, you just let it slide? What do you mean? Couldn't you like... Couldn't you do some checking? Just find out what like the consensus is among biologists and infectious disease specialists as as far as that goes. Like, like what does this guy do all day? But that's what that means. I hope you enjoy this conversation with the one and only Eric Weinstein. My music at the beginning of my shows is way better. But now, we're sticking with audio. All right. Then uh, just imagine me wearing a sport coat. I'll imagine you wearing a sport coat. I, I mean, I'll imagine you wearing all kinds of things. A grouch Why is mud. it that all these rich assholes have the most scuffed audio and sound like they're talking to you from the bathroom? Disguise, a silly hat, a common Miranda hat with a pineapple on it. 
Who knows? Neurotic tension is palpable. <laughs> exactly. As long as you're pantless, Eric, pantless. Oh, <laughs> do interviews any other way, sir. <laughs> Excellent. I actually did that sometimes when I was back on HuffPost Live, uh, just for a lark. You know, the cliche of the, the anchor with no pants. Uh, I think it's a marvelous thing, but in the post-Tubin era, I, I must <laughs> caution you, sir. Oh, that was a quip. Wow. What did you make of the whole, I mean, just look, we can talk about anything and everything, but just while we're on the subject of, of looking at people's faces and, uh, and zooming and all that, uh, a few weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who I hadn't caught up with in a long time, and she lives uh, in a part of Sydney that's about 50 minutes. 50 Sorry, Jeff, minute. I do have to ask. Yeah, we haven't begun yet, have we? Oh yeah, we'll just fade in wherever. <laughs> what the fuck is? Were you thinking that maybe the quality of the conversation wasn't quite up to par yet? I just feel like as soon as like I don't know if I'm talking to some. I don't. I he thinks. I think he thinks that he told a joke again. It's so hard to fucking tell. Well, I, I was thinking that beginning with. Uh... <laughs> An anecdote, an anecdote about uh, a CNN contributor. Now we cut to Eric Weinstein already in studio. <laughs> That's right, Josh, exactly. Good to be There's with no, you. Yes, thank you, Eric. There's no walk-on here. We don't go. Uh, we don't do. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> Mr. Eric Weinstein, and then the band plays. Yeah, the roar of the crowd. There you go. I'm walking on. So I was speaking with a friend of mine, and I hadn't seen her in a while. She lives almost an hour away from me, and uh, I was trying to coordinate when we'd be able to get brunch. And she said, she texted, well, we could just do Zoom, you know. And I was like, are you fucking insane? After we put up with two years of looking at your pixelated, stupid faces on my computer screen, you think I'm ever going to willingly go back to looking at someone on a screen? Dude, she just doesn't want to have brunch with you, man. Instead of face-to-face i'd rather just talk to you on the phone or text you like there for me the zoom, for me zoom never added anything unless you were in a meeting with like five plus people and you had to see them all and wrangle them all i was like why are we bothering with the face at all call me yeah i don't think we're ourselves anymore <laughs> what does that mean um <laughs> I think we have now integrated so deeply with this dystopic electronic experience that people who did not spend an enormous portion of their life prior to this fusion of technology and wetware, um, I, I think... Th- what is the fusion of technology and wetware? What the fuck does he mean? How is this a fusion of technology? Just a fucking, it's just a video call, dude. In general, people have just accepted an extremely degraded concept of what it means to be a human being because it is always more convenient. Is that because of the Zoomification of life during the pandemic or because of social media and devices in our pockets all the time? Or <laughs> an interesting question. I think that the phone has made certain changes in our brains that have nothing to do with... Um, what we would expect, you know, we, we might expect that it would make us more sedentary, which it did. We might expect that uh, it, you know, does something with our dopamine. But I think what we didn't really realize is that it destroyed the character of being a human being as we scroll and graze. And Wait, what? It just, listen, <laughs> it destroyed the character of being a human being. Other and switch. This is going to be a rough one, everybody. Between apps, 
I think it really ended up reprogramming our minds to be things that have never existed at any point in history. That sounds like you're saying something has already happened, which a lot of yep. futurists are sort of saying will happen in like the 20 to 50 year time frame. No, it's, ar- it's already, you know, when, when I talk to people who identify as book people, particularly older people, and then I ask, when was the last time you read, you know, how long has it been since you've read three books? Mm. They haven't really computed that they haven't read books in ages. Mm. <laughs> But then they're not book people anymore, Eric. Maybe maybe they're not reading as much as they once did. Other older people, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's harder to read as much. Maybe they're, as you get older, your eyes get bad and it gets hard to read. I, uh, the, I don't know what he's talking about. That's That strikes me directly in my heart, Eric, because it's one of those things where during the pandemic, I lost... I mean, I'm not blaming the pandemic for this. I'm saying during the window of time in which the pandemic was taking place, I lost the ability or inclination to finish a novel. Exactly. I can still read nonfiction, but I can't finish. I've re- I've finished one novel since the pandemic. So that's in 12 months. I've managed to, I've re- I've tried about four and I've finished one. Maybe you didn't like them. I've put down a book after a couple of chapters. But I'm not reading the rest of this shit. And I so, used to read a novel a month. So let's let's imagine that we start taking that across different art forms. Um, I am a music person. Uh, I, I you know to say I live for music is slightly too strong, but it's close. I don't feel music anymore the way I used to. And well, it, that's your problem. Like no- you ever see me drunk late at night spinning disco house? You think about you think fucking nobody feels music the way they did. My God, this guy just needs to like listen to better music. Maybe he's been listening to the same five records his entire life and needs to pick up something new. Where the great music is, and it's not like I don't know which symphonies matter to me or which jazz ensembles. That's why you don't feel the music, because you're fucking, he uses like music to like virtue signal that he's a genius. He's like, oh, what philharmonics am I into? Dude, who put out a banger this year? Whose song was a goddamn banger this year? This guy's clearly never heard the Ruffies being brilliant or the blues that animates me. I just don't register music remotely similarly to the way that I used to. And I I know that that's true because occasionally I can find a piece of music that for a period of time uh, proves to me that I'm still capable if I find something, but I, I think it's 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 spread out. Over I'm a couple still of capable issues. of liking music. Like, what the fuck kind of galaxy braid shit is this? One issue is that the phones and the availability and the way in which we uh, interact with music um, has changed. I think another thing is is that our artists have no idea what world is happening, and so their reflection of it back to us is really much more meaningless than, say, the artists of the 1960s. Yeah, it's this fucking, oh, dude, no, it's this pining away for the past shit. It's this, oh, there's no no good music ever made today. Like, I'm so glad I didn't turn into one of those people who was like, oh, nothing good's coming out anymore. I'm so glad I didn't turn into one of those people. Because it was kind of a coin flip. Seemed to have their finger on the pulse of the time, and you were almost listening to music as if it was a news report because it was Mm. telling you what was happening. Maybe there's less of a pulse of the time, though. 
Like maybe there is less of a single pulse than there was then because we're all consuming so many different streams of information and we're living in an increasingly fractalized, pixelated world of information bubbles. I don't know. Are you having yeah. the same experience as I am well, that can be refracted to you through music? Not really. Um, I started writing music and, you know, I just played a song for my son and, you know, went through the lyrics and things. And he said, wow, that really that really does reflect our time. And I now understand better what you mean that our music doesn't reflect our time. I would say that, oh, Eric's actually writing the good music. Oh, wouldn't you know it? <laughs> wouldn't you know it? Eric's actually writing the thoughtful music that's the fucking pulse of a generation. That's the problem is that the music that's out there wasn't written by Eric fucking Weinstein. I never would have thought that. <laughs> uh, oh, jeez. It's hard to even feel about. If, if you look at my explanation for why everything has gone wildly, bizarrely wrong, um, it, it attempts to find almost a single ideology, which is that we had a free society, uh, particularly in the Anglophone nations, built on expectations of very high, broadly distributed, technologically-led, stable growth. And that when that equation was shown not to be an eternal fact of capitalism or democracy, uh, you had an entire system that hungered for growth that could not get itself fed. And that single explanation of what I've called embedded growth obligations, which is the stall speed for an institution, uh, it has to grow at a certain rate because of what it has promised everyone that it will do, or it becomes... Um, so, so sociopathic. So this is sort of like when we watched that Peter Thiel video where Peter Thiel was trying to say that like technology is not advancing. And then it's just like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? Just think of like, think of how, how much better your cell phone is than it was 15 years ago. That's the same shit. They're just wrong. It's just that it's not the kind of advances that they think it should be. They think that way we should be on Mars and shit. That one explanation, I think, is, a, is pretty terrific in terms of a first pass at why everything has gone nuts. But the interesting thing to me is there really isn't a great market for trying to find explanations of why things are so screwed up. In fact, one of the things that will happen is if you start to have that conversation, somebody will say, well, are things really any different than the way they were before? And somebody else will muddle it out with... Um, you know, oh, people have always been nostalgic for previous eras. Yes. It's very clear that this is an anomalous era. I think you But people have been the, the problem with nostalgia is that nostalgia is oftentimes based on like a false version, like a false romanticized version of a past that didn't really exist. And we all do it because especially like if we pine away for like if a lot of people in here, I think a lot of us are in our 40s. Well, we probably do have like a false memory of how cool it was to be 23 or whatever, because we were beautiful, right? We didn't have all the fucking lines around our eyes and fucking, we could like endure a night of partying and still get up the next day and go about our business almost like nothing happened. But we, we, I'm sure I do it. And I know, I know that you that are listening to this do it too. We all do it. We just have to, as long as you're aware that you're doing it, it's still fun to like, remember the good times just as long as you like are honest with yourself about like your biases when it comes to thinking about the past, especially it just has a lot to do with how good you looked in the past. I'm sorry. 
maybe I'm shallow or whatever. And, but it's just, it's got so much to do with, with how beautiful we all were at 23. You can, you, you know, going back to music, you can look at it in terms of musical complexity um, or attention spans or, you know, what it is that we're consuming. You can measure things. I don't think we're looking for explanations. Things have gone mad. And one of the most interesting things is that we're entirely disinterested. Let me just pick some of those b- interesting bits out, Eric. I'll grant that. What were the interesting bits? I don't think we need to dwell on whether or not this era is unusual. Um, there are so many metrics by which it is. But let me ask you to defend the claim that everything's gone nuts because the you know, I recently spoke to James Lindsay on this show. I don't know whether we'll release that before this episode or how it'll come out, but around this time. And James is the kind of person who will articulate a, a worldview in which he's quite convinced that everything has gone truly, truly nuts in a way that is being orchestrated and choreographed by malign forces who are hell-bent on destroying Western civilization. He means the Jews, probably. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have your Steven Pinkers who will say, oh. yeah, this is an anomalous era. But uh, on the whole, the people who say that it's gone nuts are people who are spending way too much time online fighting culture wars and that the, re- the, the lived reality of most people's... But Steven life. Pinker spends a lot of his time online fighting the culture war. Those people are both fucking idiots. Fuck Steven Pinker and fuck James Lindsay is that they're living longer and they're freer from life-threatening diseases and, you know, birth problems and all kinds of health issues and malnutrition than they were in the past. And so generally we're kind of chugging along and, uh, and doing better than our forebears were. So why do you think things are nuts? Where are you on that spectrum? Well, Pinker is just wrong. Well, Pinker's wrong, but the reason that he's wrong isn't going to be the reason Eric says Pinker's wrong because they're, he's using like weird metrics for poverty. It's like $3 a day or something. And he's like, well, more people are lifted out of extreme poverty than ever. And it's like, well, have you, have you ever tried to live in a city anywhere? Carry on. I mean, he, he claims he's not wrong about this. Let's take no, 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 you know, maternal, not, maternal mortality rates. He's not wrong about that. Grant Pinker every observation that he has, right? He's still wrong. I, I don't even understand people who believe Pinker has a point. Um, well, his point is that if you look at the data that we claim to care about, right, like I, I how long people live and how healthy they yeah, are. Yeah, granted. Granted yeah. all of it. Yeah. He's still obviously wrong. And, and this is. But like you're, Eric's not going to say why. I can say why. I can say why Pinker's wrong. It's that the metrics he's using for these things are just out of whack with the way most people's lived experiences are. It's like that shit they do on Fox News where like, oh, you say you're poor, yet you have a flat screen TV. It's like, motherfucker, we've had flat screen TVs for 20 years. How do you know that shit's not a hand-me-down? They're like, oh, you're poor. You have a refrigerator. <laughs> it's like, get the fuck out of here. Every Like, if you can afford even the cheapest apartment, it has a refrigerator. You know, if I took a, um, a weight on a spring, simple harmonic oscillator right? Yeah. And I look at it, it goes at its top and at its bottom as having zero kinetic energy, but either having gravitational potential or string potential, uh, spring potential energy in the system. In the middle, where it would be at rest, 
it's 100% kinetic energy. It trades off between kinetic and potential energy. See, like, that doesn't, what the fuck does that mean? I mean, I understand the things that he's saying, but that has, no, that has nothing to do with the thing that they're talking about. But what the good Dr. Pinker is looking at is he's looking at a world awash in potential violence, right? So effectively, he's looking at a spring in which the kinetic violence is zero or, mm. or very slight or as little as it can be. And he's declared that there's no energy in the system. Well, to be fair to Pinker, I don't think he's making prognostications about how things... Listen, you couldn't pay me enough to moderate a debate about this particular matter between Steven Pinker and fucking Eric Weinstein. I would just fucking unalive myself during the middle of it. <laughs> I just wouldn't be able to do it. I'd have to hand that shit off to somebody else. Things will be in the next 20 years. He's, ta- he's saying as a snapshot now but he would be he would be willing to be corrected so you're 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 basically saying that the events of the of the next 20 years are going to determine whether or not his uh his factual data driven approach no, to I don't say anything about are. 20 years i'm talking about armageddon an obvious armageddon and this is the problem of putin and ukraine and uh you know xi reacting to nancy pelosi <laughs> visiting taiwan and uh, the eco health alliance um, really needing to get their grants uh, in China to uh, save us from the viruses <laughs> that they intend to humanize. The uh, like only one of those things involves violence. Like the rest of it is just shit that Eric wants to fucking throw out there. Cause he mad about it or fucking thinks there, I don't know, thinks he has some unique perspective on it. Whether it's 20 years or not, Eric, the, the spring has to, the spring has to unload at some point in order for your yeah. pessimism to be validated. Right. Yep. What does that look like? It looks like what everybody knows it looks like. In other words, I, I, I'm making a different point. I, I'm making- <laughs> well, you're yes, I, I would agree. Whatever the fuck he's supposed to be talking about or whatever, he is in fact making a different point. That's what he's really good at is like he's he he tricks the audience or whatever and to think that he's talking about thing a and he's like, well, actually, I'm making a different point. It's like, well, then what the fuck are you talking about? Wait, the Pinker's. Pinker's analysis is just trivially wrong. It's not that it's a point. Pinker doesn't have a point. Well, I, 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 well, I don't, really, don't want to get, I don't want to get too stuck, too bogged down in. Uh, no, no, like, I appreciate. What I'm trying to say is, is that his, his point would be: we all, we all always think that everything's going to hell in a handbasket. But when you ask people what going to hell in a handbasket looks like, they give you a bunch of things like p- political violence, uh, people dying from disease, uh, people dying in childbirth, people not having their rights respected, and so on. And then when you actually look at the the measurement of where those things stand in comparison to history, we're doing okay. Now you're saying that that is insufficient because, well, you're saying more than it's insufficient. You seem to be saying that's incorrect, but I would, I would, I think you're on strong ground. I'm I'm saying something stronger. Right. Right, I'm trying to say something stronger. I, I think we've got to stop including people as having points who don't have points and then force like, <laughs> <laughs> whoa, dude, he's like, listen, I'm the only one with a point and I promise that one day I will get to that point. <laughs> Pinker's point to the extent that he has one has been focal for all, all of these discussions. It's like he's hijacked every discussion about what do we do about the obviously terrible situation we're in. And it's like, well, you know, Steven Pinker sees it differently. 
And I, I've never. Well, but you need to not. talk to then. You need to talk to somebody else, motherfucker. Because if somebody tells, if somebody's like, "Oh, we need some solutions to the obvious problems we have," I would be like, "Yeah, we do." So, but it would just be that Eric and I might have um <clears throat> might have different diagnoses as to what the problems are. For Eric, the problem is that he and his brother, I think, don't have Nobel prizes. Right? <laughs> That's like I think his major problem with the state of the world right now. It's that the scientific community has rejected a bunch of him and other quacks like him. That's he's going to go there eventually with this because he always ends up there. And so I don't think that's a problem at all. I think that if, you know, the consensus among the scientific community is that if somebody's a crank, well, that's fine, especially if it's Eric Weinstein. Come up. And my my question is, um, you know, if I were talking about dark matter, right? Uh, in physics or dark energy, and somebody said, well, you know, you're aware that uh, Professor Wilczek says it's angels. And every conversation I had to have, have about dark matter, we, we spent 45 <laughs> minutes at the beginning discussing whether angels were a viable candidate. It would paralyze all ability to make progress on what is dark matter. Right now, the imperative is we've got Vladimir Putin in Ukraine, we've got Zelensky in Kiev calling for, uh, I'm going to botcher, uh, butcher the Slavic language, preventivni udari, preventative strikes. That's pretty good. Okay. Spoken as a man who has no understanding of Slavic languages. <laughs> uh, good on you. So Eric like looked up one phrase that somebody said, like in uh, Ukrainian or or you know some a Slavic language. He looked up one phrase to make sure that he could drop it during this, and the guy's like, "Oh my god, you're you you have an understanding of Slavic languages." It's like no, he he looked up a phrase, dude. The, uh, By the way, the, Eric, you sound you're sounding a little bit hot. Do you have a volume knob at your end? <laughs> I hear you very well, but I'm worried that you're going to sound a little bit distorted when uh, when you're excited. Well, I'll try to calm down. No, you can uh, speak loudly, but I just don't know if you have a an input volume. I don't. Um, I have a mute. Unfortunately, this is your song. I don't want to mute. I don't want to mute you. I don't want to mute you. No, 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 no. Go for it. At some point, we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds. Continue, continue the thought. Putin, so, you got Putin. You got uh, yeah. Zelensky. I think it's extremely important to exclude many perspectives from discussion. Uh, Wait, why? What do you mean? I, of course you think it's important to exclude many perspectives from discussion. You think that the perspective of the discussion should be just yours. And to some extent, we all kind of want that, right? We all kind of want the discussion to kind of come from perspectives of uh, like our own or perspectives like ours, because we think those perspectives tend to be correct. We're supposed to like put that impulse of ours in check, especially if we're a public intellectual their catastrophic effect on the culture of ideas and the ability to use the you know intellectual discussion to motivate action that is protective and preventative the problem with pinker is that what he's doing is having the effect of making people feel very sophisticated when they become maximally complacent so it's a first order counterintuitive point so somebody says, wow, things are really screwed up. And then you have, well, actually, if you look at it, all the major trends point to the fact that things have never been better. And then you have to say, okay, the cost of my making the obvious point about why that is irrelevant is going to be 45 minutes of muddle. And it's going to have me as an overbearing voice. Like, who are you to exclude 
Harvard professor Steven Pinker. Um, I just I'm I look at it as simple as Hooke's law and a weight on a spring, and that that is not a point that should be in 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 the conversation when we're in an obviously dire situation. All right, let me park the uh, the inevitable and very uh, enticing upcoming jelly wrestling competition between Eric Weinstein and Stephen Pinker, which I will moderate uh, at uh, Caesars in Las Vegas, and I think that'll be a world defining event. You tell Where me about Angela. Go ahead. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> tell me. You tell me about the spring then. Let's forget about how good things are and talk about... He what? just tried to. He said, oh, you know, Ukraine, uh, Putin, uh, Zelensky, uh, Xi, uh, the vice president. Uh, <clears throat> uh, what is the tension in, in the spring right now? Well, right now, what you have is the end of the post-World War II era, which was largely bipolar between the U.S., and its sphere of influence, and Russia as the Soviet Union and its sphere of influence. And the cost of catastrophic technologies like bioweaponry, like um, fission and fusion devices, is going to continue to go down, and it's going to spread, and you're going to have a multipolar game-theoretic world. A multipolar game-theoretic world, everybody. Civilizations will be linked by their atmospheres, and the atmospheres carry the three greatest dangers to, to life on this planet, which is um, radiation, uh, pathogen, and climate. And those are the three reasons why libertarianism doesn't make any sense, because there is nowhere to hide from your neighbor's effect on the atmosphere. We have a shared atmosphere and one terrestrial surface, so you can live oh, shit, in that's correct. places and have borders, but you can't have your own atmosphere. And those three things, because of our power, the power has gone way up. The destructive power is going to become far more widespread. We have a market that we can't turn off because it basically directs activity that could never be put under central command. And we are not figuring out what is after communism versus capitalism. We are not figuring out what is... Is there a long-term solution? Well, because we're not, we, you don't figure out, like, how, what the fuck? How, you, we're not going to figure out what the next, like, <clears throat> like major ideological conflict in the world is going to be until it starts to happen. <clears throat> we're not fucking, we're not fucking fortune tellers and shit. Is that the problem? He's just mad that we're not fucking fortune tellers. I'm in conditions so that we can regain an indefinite future, which is what we had before catastrophic advances in 1952 and 53. And, you know, I'm tired of hearing myself say this. I say this a lot. I, I would love to talk about all the reasons that I would like to save us and this planet. But until I, it, we are clearly waiting for a very close call that is so dramatic that it shakes us out of our fascination with the Kardashians. Why was COVID not that? Um, because we were cheated of the really interesting story, which is probably where it came from. Oh, no. And what the hell? Was oh, that? no. We were cheated of the really interesting story, which is my conspiracy theory about COVID-19. Going on in the con. <clears throat> Motherfucker, we weren't cheated of that. It's everywhere. Conflict as to whether or not people had right sovereign rights over their own body in the face of a public health epidemic. And I would suggest that 
if the public health epidemic is bad, then no, because it's for the same reason that he said libertarianism doesn't work. You can't control the whole atmosphere. Well, if there's a pathogen going on, going around, I can't, I, you, you also can't have your own like, like pathogen state or whatever. You can't have your own pandemic, right? It's a fucking, the whole world pandemic. It's the same reason he's the same, his, if he applies the same logic to the pandemic as he does to the atmosphere, he'd come to the conclusion that actually you do have to give up some of your bodily autonomy in a pandemic such that you might live. The origin story of COVID, if we had held hearings that were very deep and painful, would have been fascinating. We had hearings. Uh, Who were we? What do you mean a hearing? American virologists and epidemiologists who are very familiar with the situation at the Wuhan. I mean, think about it from a different point of view. The Wuhan Institute of Virology happened to be right next to the outbreak. And, but that's like, that's like saying the fire happened in a place where there was a fucking fire station. (laughs) Like, of course there's a fucking infectious disease lab there because some infectious diseases have come out of that place. Like, that's like blaming the fire department for the fire. That could have been a very positive thing. You'd have the best virologists in China with its only biosafety level four laboratory right on top of wherever this thing came from. So we should have had an amazing uh, scientific whodunit where we tried to figure out where it came from. And instead we immediately decided that it was absolutely 100% pure positive um, that it came from a, a zoonotic origin. And, and that's not what people are saying. I've read the stuff on this. <clears throat> the people who are writing like the, the papers for like public consumption about this, right? Because you get, there's a couple layers here. You get like scientific studies and like most of the public isn't equipped to read every scientific study. And that's actually fine. There's nothing wrong with the fact that I can't dig into a a paper on virology and really understand it. So when it was communicated to the public, almost everything I saw from reputable sources were like, while we can't rule out a, a non zoonotic or zoonotic origin, it seems that the evidence is pointing very strongly to the zoonotic origin of the, of this, this disease. That's it. That's like what everything fucking said. And they're like, oh, they're saying it's impossible and they're wrong because they're, I don't know, whatever fucking reason that they, the the Jews or whatever the fuck, or in this case, the Chinese. Only the wet market down the road. And anybody who questioned that was a racist. And that was backed up by, I don't know, 60 Nobel Prize winners and the Lancet, you know, one of the most respected journals of all time. So that really, but I thought that, but wait, like in five minutes, he's going to say that the, um, the scientific community is like captured by like something or another. See, he'll cite like, he'll cite the, the scientific consensus or scientific institutions or uh, Nobel prize winners like he did there when it backs up his point of view. But then when faced with the, with the fact that the, the, the consensus point of view in infectious disease and uh, virology is against what he's saying. He'll go, well, the other, that those industries are captured or those, those scientific endeavors are captured by, by bad incentives. Um, it, it forced us all into this very bizarre paradigm of, are you a lunatic who believes in anti-vax? 
ideology, or are you a lunatic who believes in the perfect benevolence of the government and the coincidence that- No, 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 no. Yo, this is a fucking masterclass right here. He's giving you a masterclass in the false dichotomy. You either believe the conspiracy theorists or you 100% trust all institutions is a false choice. It is black and white thinking. And it is what it's, it's been a talking point of conspiracy theory theorists since I became aware of conspiracy theorists. They always tell you that the fucking flat earthers like, Oh, you trust everything NASA says. And I'm like, well, I don't know. They probably get some shit wrong, but I don't think the fucking shape of the earth is one of those things that they've gotten wrong. (laughs) And it wasn't NASA that fucking told us what shape the earth was either. The, The chemtrail people are like, Oh, do you trust all the fucking the military? And I'm like, well, no, but, there's no evidence for your claim, so I don't trust you either. Uh, the virus came out of Wuhan right next to the lab, and that we happen to have a an organization in the U.S. where zoom you know, if you zoom out on a map far enough, things that are pretty far away from each other actually look like they're right next to each other. So, like, we'll have to. He maybe he hasn't zoomed in on the map very very much. Happened to get fifty million dollars in funding. Uh, to study exactly such things like putting furin cleavage sites into coronaviruses. I mean, everybody became a crank. You were either a pro-government, pro-establishment, pro-medicine crank, or you were an anti-government, anti-establishment, anti-medicine crank. He's like like reiterating the dumb, this is like one of the dumbest false dichotomies I've ever heard in my life. He's like just fucking giving like a class on how to false dichotomy something. <laughs> He's like, here's how you make a false binary choice, actually. Crank. And that completely enervated us. Mm. Right? I mean, my worry is that that trend, that extremification is happening across so many different dynamics at the moment in culture. I mean, part of the what part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast and with all of my all of my media existence. And I think part of what you were doing with your podcast in 2019 and 2020, the portal, which I loved and I missed. Oh, the portal did uh, my favorite part of his podcast. The portal was when he went on to Twitter and was like, does anybody know a lawyer? Uh a lawyer who knows about internet stuff. I need to bring back the portal first, but I need to take some legal action. And what I read there was, he's like, I need to find a way to sue everybody who's making fun of me. <laughs> and I'm like, come get some. Uh, is an, an attempt to have conversations that lie in the no man's land between those two phony binaries that people expect us to reside inside of. But every other, every other, instinct and every other trend and every other incentive seems aligned at the moment and i don't know whether this is driven by social media whether this is driven by the sort of stratification and self-sorting of classes and ideologies in society i don't know what to blame it on but it does seem that there are incentives for people to fall in line with their cohort and become less and less curious about the messy no man's land in between those two ideas what what? (coughs) see even the interviewers like there's a messy no man's land between those two ideas (laughs) it's like well no shit there's a messy no man's land between almost any two ideas (laughs) that's sort of the fucking human condition in the state of the state of thinking about things what's going on there uh we're destroying everyone who takes an interest right 
raising the cost of taking an interest in not in not playing the binary game? I mean, everyone who's actually trying to figure out what's going on is under some form of relentless attack. Mm. Oh, d- d- come on, everybody who's trying to figure out what's going on is under some form of a relentless attack. This is just him fucking whining about people making fun of him. This is just, again, he just, <clears throat> these people, they just, they really, really hate being made fun of. The focus on ridicule. And that's what he means when he says attacked. He means made fun of, mocked, uh, harshly criticized. You know, the, the kind of stuff I traffic in. From both sides? Nope. No. No, no, no. I, I, I th- there are no two sides. There is only Eric's side. That what we have, look, look, let's take a very simple one, right? Well, no, let's, let's go a little bit more abstract. We know that we have a problem that any time the intelligence community or the State Department in the United States is involved with a story that gets out of hand, there's an issue called sources and methods. What happens when you take an interest in something that turns out to be the Iran-Contra affair, right? Um, you know, some, some crazy story where the government is involved in selling drugs and, and arms and uh, hostile regimes and, and, and some, you know, death squads. And the officialdom, the statecraft, wants to claim privilege by saying sources and methods cannot be discussed. Well, what if the COVID virus involves sources and methods? What happens if you take an interest? What happens if you say, look, I, I want to talk about the Furin cleavage site. Um, we have but, four- but, but you don't even, <clears throat> like as the guy was saying it on the upfront of his own podcast, that that's, first of all, Eric's a mathematician. Um, the thing he's talking about is virology. He's talking outside of his area of expertise. And um, <clears throat> I think he just thinks he can kind of sense make his way through it because he thinks he's so fucking smart. Four nucleotides, the odds of a transposition um, you know, of these four nucleotides in those locations is, you know, one in some ungodly large number. Um, we do note that the, that proposals like inserting a furin cleavage site, um, to increase the virality of, of a, um, of a coronavirus, you know, was discussed previously. I have this very strong sense that, we know the answer is don't ask those questions. Mm. So <clears throat> my understanding is that the, the odds of any particular genetic mutation happening are lo- very low, but genetic mutations happen. So it's going to be one of them. It's going to be some genetic mutation. The odds of which happening is pretty low. Right. And, and then we have, this very weird thing with, we have the Fauci Collins emails and we have this reference to three epidemiologists at Stanford, Harvard, and Oxford, which are last time I checked relatively establishment organizations that these are fringe epidemiologists. I just spent some time with Jay Bhattacharya at Stanford. Right. No, no, no. Okay. So they, They aren't necessarily fringe epidemiologists, but they're on the fringe on this issue. They're, my God. 
You can be really good at something and still be wrong about something in the field where you are accomplished and respected. That's why we have like peer review and the whole rest of the scientific community. Otherwise, we'd just listen to the smartest person about every issue. And I guess they would just fucking tell us the truth by decree. And you could disagree with him. You could you could take issue with him. But he's hardly a fringe a professor of epidemiology at Stanford is not a fringe epidemiologist. You know, you're seeing in the emails that call for a swift and devastating takedown of these positions, the orchestration of professional- A swift and devastating- Again, his sensitivity to criticism is just, he just wears it right there on his sleeve, right? He just is like, well, these people, they were criticized by Dr. Fauci. And it's like, okay, (laughs) well, maybe they were, I don't know, were they wrong? They get it wrong. They start to smell their own farts when they started to get like, um, started to get some traction in the conspiracy community. Fame is a pretty powerful driver. And if people are starting to become famous because of something they're doing, they're not going to, there's not a lot of incentive. Eric likes to talk about incentives. There's not a lot of incentive for them to go the other way. Destruction. And we've now just uncovered um, at the Department of Homeland Security that they have a program for pre-bunking malinformation, where malinformation is truth. What? It's truth that's destructive. And they can pre-bunk it by inoculating people to not believe true information that they view to be destructive. So, like, what the fuck does that mean? Is always look where people are artificially incurious. And I've called this some, something that has this characteristic anti-interesting. Something is anti-interesting if it involves sex and drugs and power and corruption and abuse and nobody wants to look at it. Because people would always want to look at those things. Well, not so, always. In general, we know Jeffrey Epstein is incredibly anti-interesting to our press. <laughs> not the Miami Herald, buddy. They were all over that shit. <laughs> Our press right. is so uninterested in Jeffrey Epstein. And, and I've, I've spoken to reporters who, who put together these stories. And then their editors tell them, nobody knows who that is. Nobody cares who that is. It's water under the bridge. You're beating a dead horse. And it's like, if, if you put well, it. Well, in the Epstein I case, I mean, he is dead. Jeffrey Epstein, the world will retweet you, you know, to high heaven. Hmm. Well, I don't know what journalists you're surrounding yourself with, Eric, but uh, but let me articulate a, a problem that I think is part of this, coming from the perspective of someone who works inside journalism, uh, mainstream journalism, that there is a there's an area that falls short of fact, verifiable fact, that is a space that you love playing in, that is difficult for journalism as it's currently constituted to explore, because... You know, I know that there's a lot of criticism of journalists, but I'm, when I talk about old school, traditional kind of Cronkite inherit, you know, descendants <laughs> of the Cronkite legacy. Cronkite was an anchor. Cronkite was like he was a news anchor. He was reading copy. Walter Cronkite was not doing journalism when he was famous. He was reading copy. Yeah, I, and that's a fine thing to do. Don't get me wrong. <clears throat> You can laugh, but there are but places like where I work at the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, sure. and and places like I would still include for all of its faults on its op-ed page, places like the New York Times, 
and the Wall Street Journal, uh, where you need to have at least three sources. And if you come back with two and a half kind of sources, your editor is going to kick you in the ass and go, go back. I need more. We haven't got it yet. We haven't got the story yet. Uh, and you will go digging and digging and digging and you will take, you know, you have to be able to take it to the bank. And there are procedures, layers of editorial verification. This doesn't mean that things, that mistakes don't get made. This doesn't mean that the editorial point of view isn't skewed towards a certain bias. You're always making decisions about what is newsworthy and what is not. And those are reflections of your own worldview. Uh, nonetheless, things have to cross a certain threshold in order to get on the front page of the New York Times. And, you know, when they fuck up, they then have to own it. This is not Mike Cernovich just tweeting something. Uh, this is a, a publication that has systems in place to... Oh, I bet Eric really likes Mike Cernovich. ...hold themselves to a certain standard. <laughs> and so exploring the question of Jeffrey Epstein beyond what's provable, exploring the origins of the coronavirus beyond what the World Health Organization and the Communist Party in Beijing will allow you to explore or to verify becomes this really tricky zone. And But the, those two, this guy's wrong. Those two, maybe in China, he might be right. He, there might be restrictions on what you can look into there. But the World Health Organization doesn't put restrictions on what if I had a, if I was like a professor or ran a, ran a vi virology department somewhere, they don't put, they don't put restrictions on what I can look into. So that's just wrong. They, the IDW and the heterodox people do this all the time. They do this thing where people, they think that people telling them that they're wrong or that they're fucking kooks or whatever is actually preventing them from speaking. But people telling Eric or Brett or fucking whoever the Stanford researcher that he's talking about people telling those people that they're wrong or they're kooks. That's just more speech. And if you don't want somebody to call you a kook, then you always have the option of shutting the fuck up. And if you're not going to shut the fuck up, if you're going to put yourself out there, if you're going to put your opinions, your, your worldview out there on the regular, then people are going to disagree with you. You might be right. You might be wrong. It's sort of irrelevant. People are going to disagree with you regardless. It's the it's on the game, baby. Like fucking Kara Swisher said to Sam Harris, like don't don't go be loud in the courtyard and then fucking cry foul when somebody talks back to you. I know that's a paraphrase of what she said, but it's pretty close. The liability of having your level of curiosity as a widespread thing. I mean, you can cope with it because you're a fucking genius. But if we were to extrapolate, wait, your no, he's not. I don't even believe in the idea of a fucking genius, by the way. I don't I don't think intelligence is quantifiable in that way. Curiosity and skepticism to the population at large. Josh. My concern as a gatekeeper would be that we would live in a fucking miasma Josh. of total chaos and conspiracy thinking. I, I really appreciate that. It's also not true. If you simply took the angle, um, why are we not holding hearings into the EcoHealth Alliance and its role in Wuhan, China? Well, because like who would who would preside over the hearing? What do you want to do it at the fucking Hague? You want to do it at fucking the wooden room that Brett and Heather used to fucking broadcast out of? Who's going to hold the hearing? <clears throat> and then who's going to fucking put those people that held the hearing on on another hearing later if they don't like the results of the hearing? Like this, like you can't just have a hearing about everything. It's the sense making shit again, right? It's like that shit we talk about where these people think that they're so smart. 
that if they just think things things through enough, they're going to come to the right answer. And this hearing thing is just an expansion of that. The problem is who's going to hold the hearing and why should I trust them? You run into this problem with everything. The story isn't the coronavirus origin. Why are we not holding hearings into Peter Daszak, um, Ralph Barrick, uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, the Defense uh, Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DITRA? Um, you could just do a story on that. You could right. do a story on um, where are the where are the records of Jeffrey Epstein's multi billion dollar currency trading hedge fund? He assured me that he was a currency trader when I met him one time. Okay, mm. that he had an enormous hedge fund. He'd just been doing some currency trading when when he came into the meeting. No one I know seems to have traded with him. Nobody knows who his prime broker was, and there is no way of faking a multi billion dollar currency trading hedge fund um, because the tick data is available historically. So. Just ask the question, where is the data? Where are the SEC filings? Where is, where is the official interaction with the outside world? Um, and print whatever, hap- you know, print whatever comes back, including somebody saying no comment or um, that's classified. My, my point is... That's classified. <clears throat> He's like soft peddling the idea here that fucking Jeff Epstein was CIA or something. I don't know. Maybe he is. It was the CIA. He certainly wouldn't have told anybody. We're having that conversation. It's similar to the Steven Pinker conversation. I'm now defending the idea that this is trivially easy. It's trivially easy. What? All you need to do is to ask questions to people on the record and get a no comment. That's a news. That's a news item. Hmm. Not, very good news. Not, very, not a very sexy news item. And it doesn't last. Oh, really? And I'll take Try this point. one. Is Jeffrey Epstein, uh, was Jeffrey Epstein known to be connected to any intelligence community? Um, and was the federal government interested uh, in monitoring his activities or did he somehow slip completely below the radar? He didn't slip below the radar. He, he was a rich guy, a rich connected guy who Steven Pinker that you brought up recently uh, participated in his defense in his first trial. He was a rich connected guy who had already been convicted once of the fucking thing that ever, and that. Of the thing of the fucking like of I forget what the first conviction was, but it was like a sex crime. He'd already been convicted of a sex crime. He got like a fucking slap on the wrist sentence, and all the fucking rich buddies, Eric's Eric's the guest list for the portal is full of those people, actually. All them fucking people kept hanging out with him. So the story becomes the federal government denies that there was any relationship between its intelligence services and Jeffrey Epstein. That's one possibility. The federal government refuses to comment. No, Eric, Eric, somebody in chat said that that the fucking federal government will give you the same answer no matter who you ask about. They could be like, is producer Dave and the CIA and the federal government would give you the same answer that they'd give us if you were asking about Jeff Epstein or fucking the guy from Burn Notice. They just give you the same answer. They'd be like, well, we don't know. Well, we don't we don't comment on that. Uh, citing sources and methods, uh, the federal government a- agrees that it had a massive intelligence failure that it could not um, detect a massive trafficking operation of twelve year old girls, um, indicating that we need to somehow have a better uh, alert system. I mean, in no, there's no non interesting story that just begins with saying why is there no story. 
No, we know the reason. I just told you the reason. He's a rich guy with fucking powerful friends and get got away with a lot of shit because that's how the fucking world goes around, motherfucker. No non-interesting story that begins with saying, why isn't there a story? Right. If, if I have too many negatives there. Uh, sorry, it's the dog that didn't bark problem. Right. Okay. So the question is, you know, maybe it takes three sources on the record, blah, 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 to confirm something that you'd like. Well, don't begin there. Begin with the question of why are the dogs not barking? Maybe your neighbors don't own dogs. Mm. What, what is causing the, the, just ask the questions and record the answers. If the answer, Damn, Eric fucking just figured out all of journalism. Eric should just fucking start a, Eric should start a, a journalism thing. Just ask the questions and fucking print the answers. Bada bing, bada boom. Journalism. No comment. That's fascinating. <laughs> the fucking poor, uh, like, Josh Zepps ain't a great guy, but the poor interviewer, how do you even fucking do, how do you even continue this interview? I guarantee you can sell papers by saying we asked well, uh, why there were no hearings into the EcoHealth Alliance's activities in Wuhan, China. But who did you ask? Like, who did you ask? Why were there no hearings? Did you just go to the local courthouse and ask the fucking clerk? You find a judge somewhere and ask why there's no here. Like, who do you ask that question to? You just kind of ask it in an open letter to the world and then be like, well, nobody responded to my open letter. So uh, seems suspicious to me. Like, who do you ask? Like who you're asking the question who, like the person that you're asking the question of is probably as important as the question itself. And we were told, uh, the president and ask him, you know, uh, that was privileged. <laughs> or there is no comment, or it, journalism has disappeared. And you could see this, for example, with the bombing of the federal courthouse in Portland, Oregon. Um, it was denied, I think by Jerry Nadler, that there was an Antifa, you know, firebombing of the court. Wait, oh, okay. oh no, he firebombed. Firebomb. <laughs> when he started with bombing, I'm like, wait a minute. Did somebody blow up the federal courthouse in fucking Portland? Then he's like, oh, Antifa firebombed it. It's like, oh, Molotov cocktails. Like, improvised, um, <laughs> improvised fire devices. That's a different fucking, like, it's so fucking crazy. It's so, like, slippery right there. He's like, oh, it was bombed. Well, actually, Antifa, there's somebody threw a Molotov cocktail. Well, those are two different claims. Courthouse. This was during the, the protests. Was this in 2020? Yeah, I, I, th I think so. I mean, everything's yeah, running together. The, yeah, yeah. But during the, the protests that were initially sparked by the George Floyd Well, well the protests, you know, the, 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 the famous line inside the U.S. is mostly peaceful. It's like yeah, nobody cares mostly about the peaceful. Peace. Right. You know, it's just... <laughs> just explain that to people who, who, didn't, who don't know that meme. Well, you're, you're looking at footage of businesses burning to the ground we didn't really see a lot of footage of businesses burning to the ground we did see the footage of a cop shop burn to the ground but then we later learned that it's pretty likely that that was the boog it was the boogaloo boys in minneapolis the boogaloo boys were running around they were up in the mix too because they don't really have much of a political agenda outside of sowing chaos because they want civil war two electric boogaloo and they'll use any civil unrest to make it happen and they'll in some cases, literally pour gasoline on the civil unrest. So, but we didn't watch a lot of businesses burn down. We just didn't. 
And people are saying, oh, you know, <laughs> perhaps there was some excessive enthusiasm. People have been cooped up for a long time. Mostly it was, peaceful. <laughs> it was riots, man. And there was one, uh, it was one notorious CNN thing where like the, yeah, the, the reporter is standing in front of like burning buildings and people smashing each other in the face and everything. And no, people like, weren't smashing each other in the face. What are you beating? He's talking about Minneapolis, dude. In Minneapolis, them people weren't smashing each other in the face. They were like fucking. The, <laughs> it was like, I mean, it was a fucking. There were riots in Minneapolis. No, make no mistake, there were riots, but there were there, there was solidarity. There were not people smashing each other in the face. You weren't watching that. That CNN clip did not in, of him standing in front of that burning building. It is a famous clip, but there weren't like people in the background like fighting each other. That's just incorrect. The guy just fucking lied. Crawl across the bottom of the screens as a mostly peaceful protest as people are getting. Well, curiosity lost. has become a crime, right? And my point is, I, I don't know that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. I don't know that this virus didn't come from a pangolin. I don't know that Jeffrey Epstein didn't run a currency trading hedge fund. I don't know that... Um, uh, Wait, you're a venture capitalist. Isn't isn't Eric, wouldn't Eric be one of the people who's who's like most likely to be able to find this out just because he works in a fairly closely related field? The stuff I don't know. I do know that the reporting is as bizarre as we've ever seen in the history of journalism. It's like forced in curiosity at a level where we can't even ask, where is the story? So I wonder, I think that makes me think about something you said earlier about not reading sure. books and you not appreciating music the same way in the sense that we don't spend time wasting time anymore. And it's possible that all of this has a similar cause and that the cause is less about institutions, which I know <clears throat> you frequently attribute it to, and more about our attention. I mean, I know a lot of journalists who just spend a lot of time churning through the hamster wheel of stories that are in front of them. And I know a lot of people who relate to their lives that way and to the input of what's going on in the world, scrolling through their feed, yeah. chatting about the same kinds of things. Okay not having the scope to just be bored and Josh, noodle on curious questions. I appreciate all of these things. I want you to take everything that you can possibly come up with that would enervate the allegation that I'm making. Okay. So Wait, what? maybe we're bored. We don't have the attention spans. Maybe the idea is, um, what if you're just a kook, Eric? Like the, the it's almost like it's almost like the obvious answer is just like sitting right there in front of the fucking interviewer and the interviewer either can't see it or won't see it because it's uh what it was Eric saying and it's anti-interesting <laughs> to fucking to suggest that maybe Eric Weinstein is just a fucking kook that there's a lot of emergence and we're only now noticing it because we have phones and so there's a lot more coincidence to be explained let, let, let's just come up with you know, just like with Steven Pinker, come up with the giant list of explanations that don't have to do with something that's actually really disturbing. You could still look at any one of these things. If I look at only the reporters who come and contact me, who try to get information about a story, 
And then they what reporter contacts Eric Weinstein to get information about a story? Fuck Dave Rubin. Been three weeks on the story and they're putting it together. This is incredible. This is amazing. Why has nobody ever covered this? And I'm like, I'm telling you where this is going. You're about to have a conversation with your editor. And your editor is about to tell you, sorry, nobody cares. Nobody's interested. Uh, not enough on it. I'm putting you on this other story that's really important. I'm just thinking, I can set my clock to this. I Wait, that's actually the editor's job is to be like, we need more. The interviewer even said it a minute ago. He's like, hey, the, you know, in, in journalism, your editor's job is to put the brakes on you when you get out ahead of yourself and to tell you to come back with more information. That's the editor's job. And that's good to have in a newsroom of any kind. Otherwise, everybody's going to get out ahead of themselves and like inaccurate things, speculative things are going to be published as if they're fact. <clears throat> and that's Eric Weinstein's job, not the job of like, I don't know, the fucking, the fucking San Jose Mercury News or whatever. For example, happened to know, soup to nuts, what happened to pass the Immigration Act of 1990 with its infamous H-1B program, which keep in mind that there is no such thing as a long-term labor shortage in a market economy because the wage mechanism always uh, find, finds the equilibrium. I have a Steinway shortage in my living room only because I'm not willing to pay for one. <laughs> what? Right? There's a Lamborghini shortage in my garage. I have this guy could afford both of those things with cash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not like, not like a suitcase of money. But. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, okay. I have a good scotch shortage as well. <laughs> we have a, there's no shortage of articles on labor shortages, but it's not a, it's not a feature of, of market economics, right? So you have a completely fictitious concept, which is long-term labor shortages. You have changes in law and every reporter who ever gets at this, um, you know, runs all this stuff down and they get to the editorial level and the editor, editor says, I'm sorry, we can't run, we can't run this because of X, Y, Z, P or Q. Okay. The Amy Robach, uh, hot mic thing where she's saying that she had all of the sources and all of the data on the Jeffrey Epstein thing. What you're doing is you're doing the same thing Pinker is doing. You're enervating your audience. You know, Eric, couldn't it be? And it's like, no, it isn't. We, we know that nobody's really asking these questions. And, and by nobody, but if nobody's asking nobody. them and how do we fucking know what the question is to begin with this stuff, like, like a lot of the shit he's saying just collapses in on itself. When you think about it for two seconds, if nobody's asking the, it's like the fucking, the tree falling in the woods and nobody's there to hear it fall. Did the tree fall? He's the fucking positing that kind of thing about a fucking question that either does or doesn't exist that somebody is or is not asking. No reporter editor paper unit that's able to break these stories. Including stories that indicate that Jeffrey Epstein really killed himself, that the coronavirus came from a pangolin having sex with a bat what? And, uh, you know, whatever else. But we're not asking the questions. And that the message of this, Josh, and this is really important, is don't be curious. Well, now I'm curious about how a pangolin has sex with a bat. And I want Did to you see visualize that. it. I want to see that as the sequel <laughs> to the Stephen Pinker, Eric Weinstein jelly wrestling competition uh, in Las Vegas. I mean, the, look, everything you say 
makes sense. Well, there's where you're wrong, Mr. Mr. Zepps. Everything he's saying doesn't make sense. It just sounds profound. They're like deepities. Eric is just like deepity after deepity. It's like conspiracy riddled deepities is all he's doing here. And I don't want to be the guy who's always going, yeah, but, 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 but. But you are. But this over here and this over here. Yes, you are. And because we're all doing it. It's not you, Josh. But the, I mean, I'll cop, I'll cop to it to the extent that it's somehow more parsimonious as an explanation. There's an, there's an Occam's razor, like, neatness to my explanation in a strange way, which is that human beings are group-thinky mammals who aren't very good at alienating their cohort in right. the pursuit of truth. I know. And that is just simpler than... I'm not sure what the thesis that you're making is that editors. Well, that's good. That's he's like, I have no idea what you're fucking talking about. Be actually getting instructions from on high. about well, I certain stories. Is there a liaison at the New York times, for example, that has a direct line to the department of Homeland security and the intelligence community where they say, hey, we're, uh, we're understanding that you may be running down a story with the following features. We need you to hold off. Is that a thing that exists? Yeah, I mean, yes. And the history of the way that that thing gets used is instructive as well. I mean, we, so, you know, people who've left the Times and who have left these organizations will tell, right. them, tell us thrilling stories about how they're about to publish something. They get a call. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of, uh, I can't remember what it was in the lead up to the Iraq war or just after the Iraq war, but Cheney's office was basically pressuring the Times and was in a negotiation about what can be published when. And the Times was like, we're going we're gonna to publish this. And the White House was like, just give us a day to get people out and give us a day to like get our ducks in a row. And there was a willingness on the part of the times to accommodate those requests. So it's not like you need to be not in contact in order well, to, but first of all, nonetheless is that, defiant. Is that well known to the public? Like in other words, well, what do you mean? Well known to the public? See, like I, I don't really care actually whether or not things are like widely known. Is the information that he's talking about easy to find if you go looking for it? And the answer is yes. Is it well known? Well, no, because most things aren't well known. Most people don't know most things. Let's imagine you just had aggregate statistics, which is we feel that the following large number of requests, there was an uptick in the number of requests not to publish things. Well, you know, let's just take Cassus Belli, right? We are pretty sure that the McCollum memo predated the attack on Pearl Harbor, which said that we could enter World War II if we could get the Japanese to attack us by starving them for resources. Now, I'm not saying that that's what caused the attack on Pearl Harbor, but it's very clear that we were interested in getting into World War II by getting our nose bloodied. Yeah. Uh, we had similar issues with the Gulf of Tonkin. Remember the Maine uh, from a different era? Uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So in general, we have a history of statecraft in which it's very important that we have a reason to enter because we're the big dogs, right? If we just went in and said, hey, that's a lot of oil and we're interested in it, it wouldn't, wouldn't be good. So am I opposed to statecraft? No. I understand that you know countries have interests and that those interests are sometimes somewhat unsavory. 
What I'm trying to say is the level of contamination of our own news with respect to things like sources and methods is now through the roof. We don't even know what's happening in our own lives because the people who are supposed to, in some sense, keep the intelligence community away from us, um, we're not supposed to stumble on things that we're not supposed to know about. And it's also the case that you can't take over every aspect of our lives. What did I breathe into my lungs? Have you had COVID? Yeah. Okay. Was that part of a workaround to get around the biological weapons convention passed in the 1970s along with the Geneva convention? Oh my God. Okay. We have to stop here. The podcast is about an hour and 20 minutes now. Um, We're going to finish this during the post game, but like the, just the conspiracy thinking of, of all of this is it's, it's like on full display. It's he's posing false dichotomies. He's suggesting that everyone's kind of colluding to keep you in the dark just because you don't know something. Well, there's a lot of things you don't know. Just because you don't know something doesn't mean someone's hiding it from you. It just means you don't know it. Maybe you go find out about it. You know, I don't know. I know there was a, I know there was an earthquake in Northern California. I don't know what magnitude it was. Is the fact that I don't know the magnitude of the earthquake. Does that mean someone's hiding it from me or have I just not looked? Like people don't know everything. Like there's, there's, that's not news. That's not interesting. There's no conspiracy happening when people don't know things. People just don't know things. It's all right. It's okay. If you don't know something, it's okay. If I don't know something, I don't know if Eric, does Eric ever cop to not knowing anything? I don't think so. So like, I'm really glad he took another interview because he's like getting more and more like he's engaged in more and more kind of magical conspiracy thinking. The longer we go on, the more, the more we cover this guy. And it's just, I just can't believe people take this guy seriously. The things that he says are true are rather uninteresting and easily discovered. And the, the, things that he speculates about are fucking bonkers they're fucking bonkers and then like he throws in then a lot of it throws in this thing about it where it's about him where it's about people not taking him seriously enough he hasn't leaned on that really hard in this interview but we're only a little over halfway through it so i feel like we will get there during the post game so uh thanks everybody who listened on the podcast make sure you check out the live show every every wednesday at 7 p.m pacific twitch.tv slash echoplex media if you're uh, watching on Twitch or listening on the IceCast, just hang tight. We're going to go into the post game in just a minute here. I just have to, have to change the colors of the lights. I have to change the content of my beverage. And I have to play a song, a little song by Periscope called Boomers. And uh, we'll be right back.
We're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3, even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com slash support.